All right, well, good morning. Let's go ahead and open up a Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to follow along in a blue pew Bible you can find somewhere in front of you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 can be found on page 957. And I feel like I do say this every year, but I can't believe that we're already here on the doorstep of Thanksgiving week. And as we set out upon it, I, I always just kind of want to acknowledge the fact that we um, are all about to embark on a five to six week stretch here, starting this week and culminating with Christmas. That's just, it's just going to be filled with a lot, right? We, we just, we just kind of know in our minds, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot. There's a lot of events. There's a lot of plans, a lot of planning. Um, with that, a lot of emotions. Um, some of you, like this week, like you're just you're ready to go, right? At the starting line, amped up, love the parties, love the planning, love dressing up, love going out. Um, but others, and I, I think Trish beautifully prayed for this, uh, you know this is a five to six week stretch for you that could be a struggle. And uh, battling feelings of maybe grief or loneliness or just kind of an ache that maybe you can't always totally articulate and you kind of know you're going to have to go into this next five to six weeks with these, you know, um, utilizing the extra tools to handle it mentally and, and emotionally. And so uh, my, my encouragement to you as we just stand here on the Sunday of Thanksgiving week is that together we can commit to fix our minds on Jesus Christ for these next five to six weeks and what that would do for all of us to just draw us closer to him, regardless of that emotional spectrum you might be in, and to stay rooted in him. And to that end, as you heard in the announcements, our church has this long-standing tradition of meeting on Thanksgiving Eve, gathering together as a church body on Thanksgiving Eve. And the reason is because that while we recognize Thanksgiving is not a Christian holiday, it is a cultural holiday that Christians know what to do with. Right? Like we know what to do with the idea of gratitude and being marked by gratitude uh, to God for, for who he is, um, for what he has done in our lives, most notably sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem and restore and reconcile us to himself and to one another. We know what to do with Thanksgiving. And so that gathering every year that we have here is a unique one in that it is very simple, simply structured. Uh, there's no sermon. Uh, we sing together. And then we have an extended time of just people standing where you are and sharing the way God has shown his faithfulness uh, towards you this past year and to testify what you're particularly thankful for. And it's just that extended time of sharing. And again, it's simple. Uh, we have found that it is um, often very encouraging. Uh, there is laughter. There are tears. Um, and it's 7 o'clock here uh, on Wednesday night. So I hope if, uh, you can join us there. And then just to catch everyone up on where we're at in terms of our morning gatherings, uh, last Sunday, we finished our series preaching verse by verse through the book of Nahum. We finished our series preaching verse by verse through the book of Nahum, and my hope is that on this side of it now, that our view of who God is is sharper, because we went through the book of Nahum, and that our appreciation for Jesus Christ is deeper, because we went through the book of Nahum. And then next Sunday... We start Advent. Advent is a season of waiting and anticipation, a season of reflecting on the arrival of Jesus coming in the flesh the first time, but also a season of living in light of the fact that our current period of waiting for his return is still in place, that there's still an aspect of Advent that we are living out today. And so we just know that we in the church, but also in the culture, we're, we're in a culture that just loves Christmas, right? Loves the holidays, and you just can see it all around, right? It's just going to be a lot. All right, your, your coffee cups are going to be red for the next five to six weeks. Uh, the stores are going to change their colors, the music, the movies, all the lights popping off. And like, and lean into that if you want to lean into that. Um, but let's ensure at the top of the list 
we know that on our weekend gatherings during Advent, we, um, we are grasping the depth of this season. Where again, wherever we are in that emotional spectrum that I talked about earlier, that, that we together join for Advent. And our series this year is going to be called Waiting for Emmanuel. Waiting for Emmanuel. And we're going to lead these four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve to go through the four uh, traditional themes of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And I am super excited to announce that this year there's something new with it. That we are handing out a self-published Advent devotional to every family at Grace Church. That is called Waiting for Emmanuel. And within this book, there is a short devotional from December 1st to December 25th, each written by a member of Grace Church. And uh, so there's six devotions for each of those four themes. And there's a Christmas Day devotional to finish it off. I'm going to do a terrible job of doing show and tell here. Uh, but just here's an example, right? You just have short devotional for every day. Uh, you're, we're going to hand one out to every family today and next week if you don't get one today. Um, and you can read it as a family. You can kind of trade it off you know, throughout the, the home. But it's probably going to be three to four minutes a day. And, and just for us to be united in this season together, uh, to be going through this devotional, um, thank you to Cheryl Bisworm, who designed and published and got this uh, devotional printed for us uh, today. And uh, we just think you'll be encouraged immensely through it, and that it will deepen your experience of Advent. So at the end of the service, make sure you get one. One per household. There'll be people handing it out at each of the exits. Get one out waiting for Emmanuel. But you can't start till December 1st, all right? All right, you can start the Christmas music, all right? But the devotional waits until December 1st. So, last week, finished Nahum. Next week, we start Advent. What about this morning? What are we going to do this morning? Um, well, as Trish mentioned in her prayer, today is Baptism Sunday. And we do have four individuals who are being baptized across our morning services. Two at the 9 a.m., two at the 11 a.m. And so we want to celebrate that with them. Uh, but before we do, I'm, there's going to be a shortened time of teaching, maybe another 20 minutes max, to share not just what baptism is, but show the depth of what baptism symbolizes. So my hope for this morning, as we prepare our hearts to participate in this baptism through witnessing it, that this morning um, I'm aiming for increased clarity in your minds and increased conviction in your hearts. That you be clearer in your mind this morning on baptism and more convictional in your heart as a result of it. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read just the four, first four verses here. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Well, at Grace Church, our practice is what is often called believer's baptism. Um, or the phrase that you can make to make you sound smarter is credo baptism. Credo is a Latin word meaning, I believe, right? I believe. Baptism. And baptism is an embodied act, a physical act that someone chooses to make, not in order to be saved, that you have to do this in order to be saved, but it is an act that proclaims that by God's grace you have been saved. Believers' baptism. The order of those words matters because a believer gets baptized. One doesn't get baptized in order to be a believer. 
And um, a common phrase that you kind of is often associated with this is that baptism is an outward sign, right, that reflects an inward faith. That's what the act of baptism is. It's this outward sign that reflects an inward faith. And baptism in this way, uh, in the church, in the Protestant church, is a doctrine that we believe true Christians can disagree on in degrees and still be in glad fellowship with one another. Uh, so I won't spend too much time on this, but the other Protestant view is what's often called infant baptism, or, again, if you want to be smart, pedo-baptism. And that Protestant view, which is distinct from the Catholic view of infant baptism, which we find is more problematic but won't go down that path today, the Protestant view of infant baptism is that it is a symbol or a sign, just like credo-baptism, that is associated with the Old Testament sign of circumcision. That's where the difference often lies. That, that infants or children that belong to the covenant and the people of God, which is now the church, are to be engrafted into the Christian church through the act of baptism. And that distinguishes them from the uh, children of non-believers. Um, now, churches that, and denominations that practice pedo-baptism will also baptize adults who have never previously been baptized. But it is still seen as a sign and a symbol of the covenant of God and entrance into the church. So there is some distinction between pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. So, Grace Church, in its 77-year history, has always been what we call a dual reception, one-practice church. All right? Hang with me. There will not be a quiz at the end of this. But we are a dual reception, one-practice church. What does that mean? It means that we will receive those with pedo-baptist convictions into membership, gladly, um, as well as, obviously, credo-baptist convictions. Uh, it also means you're not required to be baptized as a believer to be a member at Grace Church. Because it's a theological conviction, again, where true believers can disagree. But we are clear that while we are a dual reception, that the church's practice is believers' baptism. So, if you were to join with Pado Baptist, which we have several members, more than that, more than several, who are members on staff, even amongst our board, who are Pado Baptist convictions, we're not going to force you or pressure you to be baptized, right? We're not going to make it weird. But here's the thing. If you are joining Grace Church with Pado baptist convictions, you are agreeing to join a church that practices believer's baptism. And you're agreeing also to not make it weird. All right? This is a pact. To, let's not make it weird. Uh, but, and we don't water down the emphasis or, or the convictions of baptism. We just don't think it is enough to break fellowship with one another in the local church. So, again, doesn't mean we don't care, but we can still be in glad fellowship and gospel partner ministry. Um, and, as you'll see this morning, those who do not align with the view of credo-baptism still very much support those at Grace Church who get baptized and celebrate that with them. Right? That, that, that's not hard for them to do because we all agree that baptism is a sign and a symbol of God's faithfulness. And we can all celebrate that. And that the aspects of salvation and the doctrines around salvation is where we are very much aligned and can celebrate with one another. So, with that said, um, both Pedo-Baptists and Credo-Baptists talk about the idea of baptism as a symbol, and they emphasize the power of a symbol. It's one of the very things that make human beings distinct from every other aspect of the creative order, is the reality and the power of a symbol in our lives. That symbols are not only helpful, um, but necessary to navigate your life. Everywhere you look, when you're driving on the road, and you're looking at your phone, and you're going about your house, there are symbols everywhere practically needed for you to navigate life and for us to navigate life together. But symbols are also things 
that do something much deeper in us and stir up something much deeper in us that we often can't explain. They mark something. They unlock something deeper. Uh, I found a definition of what is a symbol from a kind of a psychology website, non-Christian website. But again, the whole world even recognizes the depth and the power of symbols. And this will not be on the screen, but let me just read this definition that I found online. That symbols are a powerful gate to the deeper and less conscious levels of human experience. Symbols evoke profound emotions and memories. They fuel our imaginations and enable us to access aspects of our existence that cannot be accessed in any other way. So baptism is not primarily about the act itself, but rather what the act symbolizes. Um, In this way, baptism is connected with the Lord's Supper, which we'll also do later in this gathering. That baptism and the Lord's Supper, or communion, are the two sacraments, or the two ordinances, in other words, that Jesus instated for the church to practice until he returns. The Lord's Supper contains symbols, the bread and the cup, that when you take it together with the local church as it gathers, it unlocks something deeper within us that you almost can't explain. Baptism and the Lord's Supper is also connected in Grace Church's conviction and that we believe both are to be done by believers only. That it is not a symbol for non-believers, the bread and the cup. So too, the act of baptism is to be done by believers. And together they unlock an emotional tie to the most profound truth and reality in the creative order. What is that? The most profound truth that unlocks something most deepest in us, most deeply in us, is the salvation of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel, that we are rescued and redeemed by God's grace. Don't ever let it be normal. Don't let that ever sound normal to you. That he has rescued and redeemed us by his grace. Which leads us to 1 Corinthians 10. And just a brief reflection on this passage before we move into the baptisms. That Paul is in the midst of a section here from chapter 8 to chapter 11 where he's exhorting the church to make God-honoring decisions in tense or controversial situations. You ever been in a tense or controversial situation? Especially in the church? This whole section of the letter is how can you honor God in the midst of tension, in the midst of controversy? And so he's walking this tightrope of affirming biblical freedom that one has in themselves while calling them also to love others and to give preference to others who might disagree with them. And at the beginning of chapter 10, he begins to talk about their forefathers who had some controversial situations, some tense situations. And he's talking about this time where right after Israel has been freed from Egypt, their exodus out of Egypt into a new land. And the word choice he uses in these verses cues us into the symbol of baptism in a significant way. That what we see is that Paul connects the word baptism to the premier salvation event of the Old Testament. And by doing so, he shows how baptism is not a new idea. It's not now Jesus came and the church came into being and now baptism is this new thing. But rather, he's connecting it to a very old thing. And that idea is the symbol of true freedom brought about by judgment through water. Let me say that again. He connects it to this very ancient idea since the beginning of God's creative order. The symbol of true freedom brought about by judgment through water. And so when Paul says that they were under a cloud and all passed through the sea, he's referring to one of the most memorable Old Testament stories. 
that when the newly freed nation of Israel has been sent out of Egypt, Pharaoh finally said, get out, because uh, the, the oldest child within Egypt died unless they had a Passover, unless they had a lamb sacrifice and the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost so that he would pass over that home. And then at the, midst of, at the end of that 10th plague, Pharaoh said, enough is enough, get out, leave. And so 1.5 million people, men, women, and children, leave. But now they're on their way into the promised land, and they get trapped between the Red Sea on one side and now the approaching Egyptian army on the other side. Why? Pharaoh had regret. In a moment of passion, he freed them and then realized, why did I free them? So he raises up his army and says, go get them back. And now you get to Exodus chapter 14, and we see this very popular. If you grew up in a church, you're very familiar with this, the crossing of the Red Sea where God miraculously delivered by opening a path through the waters to allow them to cross to a new land on the other side, rescuing them while drowning the army that pursued them. And that story, again, in Exodus 14, serves as a picture of salvation for Israel, and it served as a picture for their nation long after it occurred. That the entire Old Testament looks back on the event of the Exodus including the crossing of the Red Sea, as this deliverance through water, as a symbol, and a symbol of God's faithfulness to his covenant, as a symbol of God's saving grace. Here's the thing, not because they deserved it. You read it, you realize it's not because they deserved it, and they were so obedient that God said, i got to save them. But rather that he saved them because they were his people, and he'd be faithful to his promises. And he will not let them perish. And there's a verse in chapter 14 of Exodus that declares this in a stunningly powerful way. Here's the thing. Can you do this with me? Can you picture yourself in their shoes? You're with 1.5 million people have just been freed from slavery. And you get to this massive Red Sea on one side. And you turn around and you see an approaching Egyptian army on the other side. And the people are yelling, what have you done, Moses? Like, 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 it would have been better for us to stay in slavery. Like, like, rather than just die here in the wilderness, what are our choices here? Be slaughtered or drown. And Moses says this to this people. If you don't know this verse, you should know this verse. It'll be up on the screen. Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. Look. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What we see over and over and over again throughout the entire scripture is that our God has always been a God of grace. He delivered Moses, by the way, from where? From the water as he was a baby. And then he raised up Moses to be the one to deliver Egypt from slavery by leading them through the waters. And God orchestrated that. Why? Fear not. See the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Here's the salvation they saw that they passed through a narrow passage of darkness and into the light of a new day. 
And the army who pursued them into the waters perished in judgment, never to threaten God's people again. And it was poetic justice for Pharaoh. Because do you remember, early in Exodus, it was Pharaoh who ordered that all the Hebrew boys are to be thrown into the water to drown. And now he leads the young Egyptian boys in the army into the waters to drown. And God's people are now delivered from judgment. And God's people come into a new land. And when they get to the other side of the water, they're greeted by a joyful noise of celebration in Moses' song in Exodus 15, celebrating the kindness of God and seeing the salvation of God. And from that moment, after they cross through the waters, they are called to obedience to live in light of that new grace. And that is why the New Testament connects the deliverance at the Red Sea to what Jesus Christ accomplished in the New Exodus through his death and resurrection. That the Old Testament Exodus was a picture of salvation. It was a foreshadowing of what is true and ultimate deliverance through Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ who he himself was the Passover lamb. He himself provides deliverance by plunging into the waters of judgment on our behalf. Creating a narrow passage through which we may pass through the waters of judgment. And follow him in conquering the grave through his resurrection. And following him and entering into a new life where now we are called to live in obedience in light of that grace. And with that in mind, Paul very intentionally invokes this word, baptism, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As all passed through the sea. And just as our forefathers were baptized into Moses by passing through the sea, so too we are now baptized into Christ. United with him in his death and buried with him. And then rising out of the water into resurrection life. And what happens often, certainly at Grace Church, is the first thing a believer hears when they emerge out of the waters is what? The congregation celebrating. The kindness of the Lord being sung out. Praising God for the declaration of faith they have made and the new heart with which they have committed to live entirely unto him all the days of their lives. You see, baptism is not salvation. But it is a symbol and a picture of salvation that unlocks something deeper that you almost can't explain. And he calls his people into this. This embodied symbol of new life. And it's a witness to all who get to see that all who are in a baptism service are participating either as the one getting baptized or those witnessing. And together we know and we affirm our deliverance is entirely due to Christ. In Jesus Christ we are told, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Baptism declares, the Lord has fought for you. You have only to be silent. And that moment of baptism, for those who have experienced, is a symbol of your crossing. Crossing through the waters. And from the moment you get baptized, you'll forever be able to look back on it as a reminder and a signpost of God's grace in your life. That he is fighting for you. Still true. And the work of salvation he did in you is renewed again. This is believer's baptism. 
This is why at Grace Church, why we practice it, why we feel like we are called to it, to the glory of God, to, to the public profession of faith, and to the strengthening of the church that gets to witness it. And so as we prepare now to witness it, brothers and sisters, can I ask you a couple questions to close? You're here this morning, you're watching online. Have you spiritually followed Christ through the waters of judgment and into resurrection life? Have you trusted your life to him? It's not about your actions. It's not about your obedience resume and trying to get to the end of your life and show him all the things you have done. It's not about your background in church or your family's background or your experience. It is your dependence upon him in faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Repented of your sin and trusted in him? Friends, this is the only way. It is the narrow passage way. It is the way through the waters of judgment because he took that judgment upon himself for you. And so we invite you on a baptism Sunday to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And for those who have followed Jesus Christ by God's grace, by faith, my question is, have you been baptized? My question is, what is holding you back if not? And this is where we have to walk the tightrope of, of, of affirming and understanding our brothers and sisters in Christ who have different convictions than us. But I would say this, if you have the conviction of believers' baptism, then that is a step of obedience for you to publicly profess Jesus Christ, to embody the picture of salvation before the church. And it's not just an act of obedience. It is a gift for you. It is a gift for the church. Have you been baptized? What is holding you back? Let me encourage you to then be thinking about planning your baptism. And at Grace Church, we haven't picked a date yet, but it's going to be somewhere in February or March because we have a lot of people who have now been expressing more interest in baptism. We want to continue that forward. Church, let's fill the waters. Let's fill the waters. And then last question. For those who have been baptized this morning, don't waste this morning and what it can mean for you in your life. Let this be a marker or a signpost for you to look back on your baptism and be freshly reminded be freshly amazed at God's kindness towards you. Maybe you know that your commitment to live in obedience in light of that grace has gone awry. Maybe you know that you have faded since your baptism. The key is not to go get baptized again, but rather to remember your baptism, his kindness towards you, and see the fuel of those waters stir up in you once again to commit your life in obedience to Jesus Christ, for his glory, for the good of others, and for the fullness of joy in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the local church. We are so grateful at how you call us into these signs and these symbols that are not power in and of themselves, but are an act that symbolize where the true power lies that we are so desperate for you, we are so dependent upon you. And we thank you for the picture of salvation that you provide us. And we pray for the four individuals who are taking that step this morning at Grace Church, Lord, that they would, that they would see their faith strengthened as they strengthen the faith 
of others by obeying your word and committing to this act. And so, Father, let it be for all of us, Lord, regardless of where we stand on the view of baptism, Lord, that we just would be united in our celebration of your kindness towards us, of your grace, and that we would be reminded of what it is to live in light of that grace. Lord, let it be all for your glory. And let it make an impact in this world through Grace Church for your namesake. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.